Hey everybody, welcome back to the Searching for Grace Cafe. It's Mick Mooney, and I have with me today none other than Frank Viola. Frank is a fantastic author. A lot of you already know his stuff. But Frank, how are you today, mate? Doing wonderful. Doing wonderful. Thanks for having me on. Now, Frank, the big question to start off with is, are you a coffee drinker or a tea drinker? Just to Well, you know, I, I'm a switch hitter on that way. I, I do both. I can bat left or right. I can do <laughs> tea or coffee. Just depends on the mood. And what was your choice this morning? I had coffee this morning, but I'm squinting in the direction of my tea right now, so I might <laughs> do some tea a little later. <laughs> awesome, awesome. I'm a coffee lover myself, but I had the urge for uh, for organic green tea this morning. Maybe oh, that's nice. something to do with uh, the upcoming interview. So, <laughs> Frank, you're um, you're well known for. I guess different things to different people. Some people would know you um, probably the most for Pagan Christianity, um, a book that you wrote, others more for organic uh, Christianity or organic church life, others more for theology. Um, but how do you describe yourself? Who's Frank Viola? I would say that the the burden and the passion that runs through my life in ministry and all of my book is something called the eternal purpose of God. And you will find the eternal purpose of God is a theme that runs through every book I've written, through all the articles I've written, all the messages I have delivered. And Paul uses this term, the eternal purpose, in Ephesians 3. We hardly ever hear of it today. It's rarely mentioned, but it is the grand narrative of the Bible. It is the central beating heart of God. It's the reason why God created. It's the reason why we exist. And to sum it up, it is Christ and his body and Christ revealing himself through a people to the glory of God the Father. Now, that's really a deluded way of putting it, but when you open it up and you unravel it, it is the most glorious thing in existence. And I've done this in a number of my books, particularly from eternity to here, but how it works out on the ground, I've addressed that in my other work and on my blogs. But God's eternal purpose, Christ in the church, the supremacy, centrality, and preeminence of Jesus Christ as a living, breathing person who we can live by and to display and reveal his glory, and that's where the church comes in. That's really it in a nutshell. <laughs> I love it. How do you put it into a nutshell, you know? I, I feel like you just want to go on now for a couple of hours. Just well, we can spend actually months uh, <laughs> unpacking that. And, you know, Paul Tarsus, he wrote two letters that are the, the high points the pinnacles of the New Testament, in fact, of, of all the Bible. They are the Twin Towers, if you live in the United States, or they are the, uh, the Himalayans mm-hmm. of Scripture, and they are Ephesians and Colossians. And in the first few chapters of both Ephesians and Colossians, Paul literally exhausts human language to try to get across to the Christians in the first century that God has an eternal purpose. It is the reason that provoked him to create. It is why the church exists, and it is breathtaking. And again, you know, 
God's people today, this is my own feeling and observation and experience, are kind of running off, you know, on rabbit trails here and there and chasing this theme and that subject and this particular thing. And we have a God who's burning out here with an eternal purpose, but he's never let go of. And so many of us are ignorant of it. And so that's really what moves me, Nick, is the unveiling of his eternal purpose. Yeah, amen. Um, I think um, for for so many um, people listening, um, you know, they have that same same passion, you know, to to see Christ lifted up and, and glorified, but um, can can easily, I guess, a bit like Paul, be discredited and and thought of as attacking um, the church bizarrely enough. Um, so um, I think of your book, um, Pagan Christianity. I mean, what a title to, to give it to start with. I, rem- I remember a few years ago someone told me about it, and and I, to be honest, I couldn't even wrap my head around the, the title. I, I really sat there trying to figure out what, what on earth that could possibly mean. Um, but the book is is kind of clear on that, and it, what, it talks a lot about how uh, the institutional church or the organized church has um, evolved or, or grown in its traditions that aren't based so much in in the Bible or in the heart of God's gospel, but more in terms of yeah things that have happened along the way. Is that kind of um, is that the people when they when they um, talk to you or chat with you? Do you find that you, that book still you're still misunderstood because of that book, or has that opened up people's hearts more to get to this eternal um, purpose message that you are you're so passionate to share? Well, it depends, really. Um, <clears throat> for some people who have never read the book, they have unfortunately believed reviews about it that utterly misrepresented the content. I was in a conversation with uh, a young man. He was in his early 30s. He was a, a pastor at the time. And he said, people kept telling me not to read this. And basically, he had the impression that the book was just all negative, and it was attacking traditions like the Easter Bunny and Santa Claus and Christmas and Easter. (laughs) And um, he said, you know, so I didn't read it, and I didn't even have an interest in picking it up because I believed all of the the things said about it from my co-pastors. Well, he said every time he would pray, that title kept coming to his mind. And then he he did something that he on occasion does. It's a custom of his. He'll drive to Barnes and Noble occasionally. Before he gets out of the car, he'll pray and he'll say, "Lord, what book do you want me to read?" So he did that one day. He walked into the bookstore, and uh, as he got to the Christian section, staring right at him as though it was saying, "By me was pagan Christianity," and he knew instinctively he was to get it. Well, as he read the book. Number one, it wasn't anything like what he had been told. There's nothing about Christmas or Easter in the entire book. (laughs) Okay, number two, it totally confirmed to him and gave him language for what he already felt. And let me give you an illustration of what pagan Christianity really is. And and before I do, I want to say this. Pagan Christianity is really clearing away the clutter that has obstructed us from seeing Jesus Christ and his church the way he intended it to function. 
So it's kind of a, a brush clearing book. You know, before you can build a, a house, you've got to tear down what's already there. You've got to prepare for the foundation. And that's what pagan Christianity does. It tears down the old dilapidated building uh, that has substituted for what God wants so that God's intention can be fulfilled regarding his church. Well, anyway, a pagan Christianity is not a standalone book. It's only part one of a conversation. And there's actually five books that make up that conversation, and then Jesus' manifesto is kind of the the, the last layer, the creaming uh, on top of the cake, which pulls it all together. But it's not a standalone book. So people who just read that and don't go on, all they're doing is they're hearing one end of a phone conversation. And it's the deconstructive part. It's not the constructive part. Uh, but anyway, here's the illustration I want to give you. Think of a beautiful woman who now has been subject to many, many different weights put upon her shoulders, her arms, her, her whole body. And upon those weights is some luggage. And upon those luggage is more weights. And now she's weighed down. She can't even stand up. She's now on her stomach and she is covered with weights and luggage, and you can no longer see her. Here's a beautiful woman. You can't even see her. All you see is all this luggage and these weights that have smothered her, okay? Now, that's a picture of the church today in many quarters. And what we're doing in pagan Christianity, George Barner is my co-author, we are removing, well, we're exposing, but we're removing as well the luggage and the weights so that this beautiful woman, the most beautiful woman that had ever lived, the most beautiful girl in the world, can stand up and be seen. And that beautiful woman is the Church of Jesus Christ. Amen. And we wrote the book because we love the Church of Jesus Christ, but she's been smothered, she's been weighed down, she's been oppressed, she's been hidden from view. And an institutional, man-made, human-created system has basically hidden her from our eyes. And so that's really what we're doing in pagan Christianity. We're setting her free. We're showing how she got bogged down and how she became hidden and how she became oppressed. And we're trying to use history to show that this was not God's intention from the beginning and we don't have to accept this and there's a better way. So that's really it in a nutshell. Again, <laughs> I can use that metaphor. Yeah, right. Well, I think that's the challenge is um, we, all, um, we all have an amazing heart for um, our brothers and sisters in Christ. I think when you enter into the church, the spiritual uh, church and that understanding of the body of Christ, there's something within us that belongs to be in community with uh, one another, that longs for the, the bride of Christ, for, for the church to to really shine in this world, but there are in different quarters different machinery that is around the church, and that's the challenge when you're standing outside. Uh, you can freely kind of participate and connect with the, the churches in the body, the body of Christ, um, but what, what it feels like you guys have done is, you know, try to not devalue the people inside that's surrounded by the machinery, trying to say, hey, we love you exactly like we love those that we fellowship with and connect just in an organic way, but we want to just highlight what 
is not being highlighted to you and just get you thinking about some some of you don't have to live with with all these weights you know we we can live freer than this as as a exactly. community well, that's a great way to put it, and that woman is made up of every child of God. Our love for the church, our love for God's people, is based in the fact that we see the church as a beautiful girl. But the problem is that Christians confuse the system that we call church. They confuse the service that we call church. They confuse a religious building that many call a church with that woman. See, that's the problem. And so the weight and the luggage that have smothered that girl, that's not the church. That's just a lot of paraphernalia that God never intended uh, to be placed upon her. It's that woman, it's that beautiful girl that is the church. And one of the things we do in the next volume, the follow-up, um, and if you've read Pagan Christianity, you really have to read Reimagining Church, the constructive sequel, else you, you really will not understand the full argument or the full discussion. Reimagining Church shows us what that beautiful girl looks like and how she functions and how she operates when the weights and the luggage and the baggage and the clutter are removed from her. And then the book From Eternity to Here, which we talked about before the program, that gives us God's view of this woman. And how she appears from the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis 1 and 2, and she reemerges all throughout the Old Testament in different shadows and types and pictures and images. And then the reality of her comes into being when Jesus Christ walks on this earth. She's inside of him. He dies on the cross. And at the cross, after his death, water and blood pour forth from his side. And that wound that he has on his side is the womb for the church of the living God, the bride of Christ. And she makes her full appearance at Pentecost, and she takes up the rest of the New Testament. And uh, when we get to Revelation 21 and 22, we have her in her glorious, untattered, unfeathered, immaculate state. She is a city. She is a bride. She is the wife of the Lamb. And we're right back to Genesis 1 and 2, when she appeared in the form of Eve coming out of Adam. Mm -hmm. Adam was put in a deep sleep. His side was opened also, and she came out of him. And so the Bible is an incredible story. It's an incredible narrative of Christ and the church, Adam and Eve, the new Adam, the new Eve, etc. And that's what the eternal purpose is all about. Yeah, wow. It's, uh, it's amazing. I actually got that book. Uh, for my birthday, that was one of them from my mother and father-in-law, um, who uh, really love your stuff. And uh, you know, a lot of your stuff is in German as well. I think all your books are in German, actually. Um, yeah, that's great. Um, wonderful to hear that. Yeah, and uh, it's it's really had quite an impact on uh, on people here that um, you know are really looking to to have a, a genuine. Um, Christian experience in terms of uh, connecting and, and bonding and uh, living um, as the church, but um, a lot of people really struggle um, from people I speak with here, you know, for my listeners, for you guys that don't know, I'm living in Germany, so um, uh, I speak German as well, but not, not now. Um, just want to boast a little, sorry, Frank. Um, <laughs> bad German, but anyway. Um, 
Yeah, one of the challenges is how do you – it the the church has always been so structured and so institutionalized that um, people realize through whatever way God um, highlights that the institutional programmed idea of Christian living is not the way they want to pursue or not what they believe is what God wants for them. And coming out of that whole system, but feeling a little helpless and 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 looking for something to grab onto, but there doesn't seem to be anything there. And um, what, what would you say to people that kind of come out of an institution or a systemized way of living Christianity into this organic expression, but it doesn't just unfold the way a program would unfold for somebody, you know? Yeah, that's an excellent question, and it really is the question that provoked me to write Finding Organic Church, and what that book goes into is the very thing you're asking. Um, Let's say you leave the institutional church or you're on your way out. What do you do now? I I would just say this, that, you know, we're talking about a major paradigm shift on the one hand, but we're also talking about something experiential on the other. And there are two ways to look at this. One way is the idea that anybody can plant a New Testament-style church. Anybody can start an organic expression of the church, and that's the term I often use, organic expression, to describe what this is we're talking about, and maybe we can get to that a little later. Um, The problem with that is if any Christian has spent any length of time in the established traditional institutional church, we unconsciously gravitate back to that kind of a meeting and that kind of an expression, and it's mainly because we don't know anything else. Mm -hmm. And so uh, what we talk about is, and I want to say we, those of us who meet this way, we talk about the need for detoxification. (laughs) You know, you have to detox from the whole way that institutional Christianity has taught us to gather, has taught us to relate to each other, you know, with a hierarchical clergy versus laity, with somebody running the show, somebody calling the shots, making the decisions. Um, And it takes time for that to happen. The other way is to receive help from people who have already been there, who have already detoxed and lived in an organic expression of the church for years and know what it's like, and know the challenges, and also know how these churches are raised up, and to receive help from such people. And so those are really the two uh, ideas out there, and I would just say that I've watched so many groups get started by people who just leave the institutional church and try to start it on their own, and I've seen very few of them survive without some kind of extra-local help from experienced people. Thankfully, you know, there are people who are traveling, who are encouraging the gathering together under Christ's headship, you know, who have experienced this way of meeting, and they're available. And, uh, you know, in fact, um, some of uh, some of my friends and I are coming to Europe in June to do this very thing because people have asked us, hey, can you help us out here? You know, we don't we don't really know how to get started. We don't know how to find other people. And so that's that's a big help. The other thing, too, is finding other people is a problem as well. There are many places across this globe 
where someone may read a book or hear a message or the Lord just speak to them and they don't have any idea that anybody else has written or spoken on this. And they say, you know what, I don't feel that God wants me here in this established institutional traditional church. There is a different way to go here. There's a different way to be the church. And yet they can't find a soul, (laughs) you know, within a, a thousand yards from them who understands what they're even talking about. There is a resource that you can find on the website. It's called housechurchresource.org. And one of the things that that webpage does, it's not my webpage, some other people have created it, but it's called housechurchresource.org. What that does is it helps connect people through events and also gives them tons of resources, most of which are free. Uh, There's another website out there called uh, organicchurchtoday.com, I think it is, and that's a social network for people who are looking to connect with other people uh, who are interested in meeting outside the organized church. The only caveat with that, the only problem with that is, and I'll say this for your listeners, there is huge diversity (laughs) among Christians that meet outside the institutional church. I mean huge One of the common mistakes that people make is they think, well, you know, I'm going to leave the institutional church. I'm going to start meeting with other Christians under the headship of Jesus, whatever terminology they wish to use. And they find one of these websites, and they just assume that everybody's on the exact same page. Well, that's not the case. Let's see, there are 33,000 denominations in Protestant Christianity today. I would say there's about as many varieties of Christians outside the organized church. So it's not a monolith. I guess the challenge is um, the institutional model, um, from what I've experienced, and I've experienced the two polar opposites from extreme tradition to extreme Pentecostal, but um, it seems to be driven by, you know, you just agree almost for the sake of agreement uh, with the, the leadership. And so... Over time, it stops being about agreeing for unity and it starts being about just don't think about stuff. As soon as you start thinking about things, you're going to disagree with people because thinking requires a process, you know, and and I think that's probably what I imagine is a, is a challenge for people coming out of an institution where everybody agrees and it, it has the appearance of working, but as soon as you start thinking and you have some different ideas, then... Um, it's kind of a bit sad, really. It's with a smile on the face. Hey, you're welcome to find another church somewhere else that believes that way. In other words, yeah. get out. <laughs> yeah. Play the game. Or And so people face that challenge of, I don't want to leave my my family, my community, but I want the right to be able to think. And if, I, if the Spirit leads me to understand some different things, I also want the chance to express that within my community, but institutional hierarchical systems don't really allow that voice to be heard. So you can follow, but you can't, I guess, speak and have an equal opportunity to to guide the, the community uh, and to grow right. in, in grace. And But I think right. people come out of the institution, and, um, and maybe that's also a challenge sometimes where um, the reason a lot of people leave is because they start thinking. And I guess being out in an organic expression of church, that's also something that, um, Christians can mature in understanding it's okay if you think 
differently about some things, not that I'm agreeing with it, but I'm actually excited that at least you're, you're processing stuff, you know, and so right. Right. I, I think that's a real difference between disagreements with, you know, where you are, that like right. you said, you, you started the, the interview by saying your heart burns for the centrality of Christ and, and his eternal purpose, um, and I often think that as well, that um, if we want to come together, if this is not our primary uniting point, then it's never probably going to work, you know. Um, well, that's very true, and, I, and I'd like to, to hammer a point there that you just made so that we can highlight it and underscore it and put it in red fire so everybody can yeah, see it sure. and it doesn't just slip past us. Here is the necessary ingredients to have organic church life with other believers. On the one hand, Christians in an organic expression of the church, an authentic organic expression of the church, are going to have different opinions and different views on many, many different things. And I'm just thinking of the churches that I myself relate to. The Christians, if you were to interview them, uh, and these are very tight groups. You know, the brothers and sisters in these groups are very close. They live in a shared life community. That doesn't mean they spread the wealth, but they're very tight. They're really care for one another. They live relatively close to each other, and they're in one another's lives. If you were to interview each of them, you're going to find a wide spectrum of views on politics, educational views. You know, some homeschool, some don't even theological interpretations, you know, uh, end-time theology. You're going to have a wide diversity. But here's the thing, and you said it. Here's the thing that people need to understand. There has to be, for, for an organic church to work, there has to be agreement on two things. Number one, why are we meeting together? What is the vision that we have? And that has to be specific. It can't just be, well, we're doing this because it's biblical, or we're doing this to glorify God. You know, well, that, that doesn't really say much. It has to be specific. What is the purpose why we're meeting? And that's going to lead you down one of two roads. It's either going to be something that's in it for us, to get our needs met, and that's why most people select various churches to attend is, you know, the church that meets their needs the best, that's where they attend. And when that church stops meeting their needs, guess what? They go somewhere else. And is it meeting a need that you have, or is there something in God's heart that you're meeting around and for, and that's the reason that brings you together? And if something in God's heart, what is it exactly? That's the first thing. The second thing is there has to be agreement on the means by which to fulfill that vision. Okay, here's our vision. How are we going to carry it out? Are we going to get some people to help us? Yes or no? If yes, who are we going to invite to help us? How many meetings are we going to have during the week? Uh, how far away are we going to live from one another? What are we going to do in our meetings? Okay, these are critical questions. So those two issues. The vision, why are we meeting, and the means by which we're going to fulfill that vision, if there's not agreement among a group of Christians on those two things, it's not going to work. How can two walk together except they be agreed? And here's what I've observed over the years that I've been meeting in this way, which is at the time of this recording, 23 years. Many Christians get together and they assume that everybody's on the same page. And then a few months later, they realize they really aren't. And there's usually a split or 
you know, sometimes worse. So those are the two fundamental things. And this is a, a core thing, and I address it in my book, Finding Organic Church. I address it in detail. And I actually give people a beginning of how to start meeting, and I also talk about the different streams that are outside the organized church. I kind of break them down to seven different types so that people can spot them easily. Um, but anyway, that's why I wrote that book, and this just is a little preview of that. But it is important that there is a common ground on those two points. Mm. And you talk about... Um, we talked a little bit before the, the interview um, that your main perspective of how you kind of say kind of church, how you describe it is organic, right? So you you are an organic church pioneer or, or believer in that kind of expression. But we also talked about um, a lot of people think that means home church or that's the same thing. Um, do you want to... Just share with us maybe how do you see the difference between what's known as home church and what's known as organic church? And sure, let me let's first talk about a home church or a house church. Okay, um, a house church is simply a group of Christians that meet in a home for their church gatherings. Now that can range from uh, a glorified Bible study, which most house churches—that's what they are. If you peel back the layers and the rhetoric, all it is—it's a glorified, glamorized Bible study. Somebody's teaching the Bible, and there's participation and discussion, but it's all centered around learning the Bible. Okay, some of them are what I call uh, supper fests. People get together and they eat, and they just talk about whatever is going on in their life. Then you have those that are really uh, an institutional church that's been stripped down uh, to a house, and you have a pastor, and that pastor does the teaching and makes the decisions. It's more interactive than, say, a typical service in uh, a religious building, but still you've got a pastor and you have the laity. I mean, you have so many diversified forms of house churches, we couldn't possibly list them all, but then you have cults, just outright very dangerous groups, very toxic groups, where somebody or a few people control the lives of everyone else to the intimate detail. That's a house church. So the house church, all it is is a group of Christians that meet in the home, but it can vary. It can vary. And in the United States, I would say that your typical house church is made up of people in their 50s and 60s, very centered on doctrine and Bible study. Some are more uh, like social groups, you know, where people help one another in their uh, weekly lives and people get together and share what's on their heart and they talk about their problems and they pray for each other. But this is the majority in the United States. Now, an organic expression of the church is very different. It may meet in a home. It may not meet in a home. It may meet in a clubhouse, you know, in a park sometimes. It can meet anywhere. The location is not the important thing. Now, we'll not have a religious building that the people call a church. It won't have that. But it can meet in a variety of different places. It can meet in a coffee shop. And the thing that makes an organic church what it is, that is an organism, is it is a group of people that are learning how to live by the indwelling life of Jesus Christ together. Mm -hmm. They are learning how 
to live by Christ in me, the hope of glory. And they're learning how to live by Christ, not just as individuals, but as a community together. And so an organic expression of the church is a visible display of the life of God that's living in and through a group of believers. And one of the things you'll notice about an organic church, an authentic organic church, is everyone in the group is consumed with Jesus Christ. I mean to the point where we've heard Christians, you know, visit. Uh, these churches may say, I, I cannot believe all they talk about is Jesus Christ. <laughs> and this idea of Jesus living in them is a real thing. Uh, I remember a, a, a man from, he's a Bible teacher from Ireland, came and visited one of the churches, one of the organic churches that I relate to, and he was stunned. He, he said, I had never in my life met a group of Christians where Jesus living inside them was so real that I'd never seen it before. And he got to see some meetings where there was no one leading, no one facilitating, nobody was directing it in any way, shape, or form. But all the brothers and sisters in that church were expressing the riches of Jesus Christ together because they were fellowshipping with the Lord, communing with the Lord during that week, and they had come to the meeting to give Christ. It wasn't about their needs or their problems. It wasn't about, you know, their needs at all. It was about the glories of Christ. And uh, he'd never seen anything like that before. Uh, and I'm just giving him as an example, and he comes to mind, but this is the testimony of so many people who have visited uh, authentic organic churches, and that's really what it is. So that's very different from a house church. And in the United States, uh, at least in, in my small world, the groups that I work with and relate to, the ages are mostly between uh, 20 years old and, and 45 years old. So this is a relatively new kind of move of the Lord that we're seeing among a younger group of people. And we also use the word missional. But the word missional, like organic, is a clay word. People mold it to mean different things. Right. When we say mission, we're not talking about something we do. We're talking about God's grand mission, his eternal purpose. And we're centered on that, and we're living for that, and that is the reason why we gather together. Uh, it is for his eternal purpose. And so we're very missional in that sense. And also organic churches, because they're organisms, they're living organisms, they pass through seasons. One of the things you find debated in, in the typical house church is, okay, do we need to focus more on spiritual growth? Or do we need to focus more on evangelism? And those two things are pitted against each other. You have some house churches that are very evangelistic, and they feel like that's the mission of the church is to evangelize. And then you have other house churches that are more into spiritual growth. They feel like, well, you know, God's purpose in Romans 8 is to conform us to the image of his son. So we need to focus on spiritual growth and Bible study and these kind of things. And so you have some house churches that are focused on that, and they do very little evangelism. Well, in an organic expression of the church, that whole tension is resolved because the church, if it's living uh, as an organism, passes through seasons. And so there is a season for outreach. Then that season ends, and there's a season for in-reach or in-building. There's a season for intense times of corporate prayer. 
there's a season for, gosh, sometimes it's a dry spell. <laughs> uh, a dry spell season that come from the Lord. Then there's a season of a wet spell. You see? So if the church is operating by the life of Christ, it's going to pass through various seasons. And so this whole evangelism versus spiritual growth dichotomy that Christians in, in both house churches and institutional churches kind of wage war against each other, that's totally resolved because it's a matter of the season that the church is in. Uh, I have a whole chapter on seasons, the seasons of an organic church in the book, Finding Organic Church. And that's been helpful to a lot of people who've gotten kind of bogged down in that whole debate. But uh, that would be the difference between organic church and house church. Sure. I think that's a really good point, though, that this um, concept and understanding of seasons, living organisms uh, go through different phases. And um, maybe that's what a lot of people wrestle with. We expect God, in a sense, to have a consistency in whatever it's got to do with the church. But do you think that there's a... There's a certain need, maybe it's during that detox time or just coming to an awareness that God's church is not a performance that will be on time every time. It's it's kind of living and it's like we are living beings, you know, and sometimes we do incredible things. Sometimes it's a little ordinary, we, you know. I think it, the, the challenge sometimes people have is... Um, you know, we can create a church that is fantastic, spe- spectacular, you know, a programmed idea, but coming into an organic expression, you have to be honest to your own heart as well. And so it's learning to, I guess, experience God and one another and understand we don't have to perform, you know. We don't we don't have to follow our, our own program, but we can be free to follow the Spirit and, and just trust that he's leading us as a, as a community. Well, that's right. And in, say, in the institutional church, it's really a one-string guitar. I mean, every time you attend that church, they're doing the same thing. You know, you have the liturgy, it's the same every time, whether it's singing first, led by the worship team, then the pastor preaches a sermon, and then there's a prayer at the end, maybe there's special singing. It's really the same thing every time. It's no different. Now, in an organic expression of the church, the meetings vary, and there's huge variety. You know, we've seen, I mean, I can't even begin to tell you the kind of diversity. I give examples in some of my books, but one week the church will put on a whole skit that they've prepared for. Uh, Another week, every member will share the Lord out of a certain theme that the church has prepared for. Another meeting, they'll have a a Lord's Supper that will be very much like the first century style Lord's Suppers, where it's a full-blown banquet, and Christ is shared by the members for two, three hours straight as they eat and partake of a meal. I mean, it's a meal. It's not just a symbol of grape juice and a bite-sized cracker. You know, it's it's a full-blown meal, just like they had it in the first century. Read 1 Corinthians 11, you'll see that very clearly. Sometimes I have meetings where it's very spontaneous. Everyone will come together and share out of their treasure of their experience of the Lord that week. You just don't know what's going to happen from month to month. And the church, you know, they find the mind of Christ together. They plan, they prepare, 
and it's different every time. And it's so refreshing because, you know, I, I don't know how many listeners can relate to this, but, you know, I spent a lot of time in institutional church, from Baptist to Charismatic to Pentecostal to Christian Missionary Alliance, Presbyterian, Methodist, on and on. And I just tell you, I got bored. I mean, I got bored. <laughs> right. And, you know, one of the reasons was I was a spectator. I mean, let's face it, unless you're part of the worship team or you're the, the guy up there giving a sermon, you're a, you're a spectator. Uh, about as much as you do uh, in terms of functioning is you stand up, you sit down, you sing, but you're led to sing certain songs. You know, you, you have no input as to what's being sung when that's already directed. And if you're part of a, an old-school Pentecostal church, well, maybe you can stand up at your seat and speak in tongues for two minutes and then sit down. You see what I'm saying? It's the same thing all the time. And, you know, we've had the Protestant order of worship for 500 years. I mean, we can't be creative enough to think of anything other than that. And even churches that try to be creative, they try to be, you know, relevant, they're still stuck in that same order of worship. It's the same thing. It's yeah. just tweaked a little bit, you know. Maybe they have a, some slides in the back or a little video footage or whatever, but you're still watching a performance. Now, I was just going to say, I guess the... The big thing that um, being able to do do church community in a more organic expression is you've got permission to to be a little creative or to give that input. Whereas um, history has shown the paid clergy make the decisions. The paid clergy know what is best, and and so nothing changes because uh, yep. you know when you when you've got the more machinery you've got, the less chances you want to take, you know, you don't want to do something that's going to cause half the people not to come next week, so let's play play the way it works. Um, But I guess when we're outside of that whole um, machinery, we can do things that it doesn't matter if it works or not in a sense. It's more about the community and, and, you know, having the opportunity and permission to express your part in the community. um, But like I said, I think it's... um, it's a journey, and you've been part of this for 23 years, um, and uh, you're also a leader within within the body of Christ that, that travels and, and helps people, which is an amazing thing. Um, but I guess the, the challenge also is for people who don't have, maybe who have only just started to come out or they don't have a leadership gift, and so they are, you know, that's the challenge I think people are in, where um, they want they want these great uh, things to happen in terms of spontaneity and creativity in the, the church, but it kind of can be a little down to realize, but that's not happening for me. And, you know, why is that kind of not happening? So um, yeah. I think the detox part is we have to, to give that credibility as well. A lot of people feel, I think, go on a journey where they come out and they want to experience all of this other kind of stuff that they've heard about. And they don't experience that, and it can be a little depressing. But, but we also, I guess, have to trust within that journey, God is there, and that's also part of bringing us to a place where this is going to be able to flourish, and and we can be participants in it, you know. Um, but yeah, it's the journey from to get into there, um, it's it's a great testimony reading your books, and you've got lots of examples where 
you you you've been able to see that you know God has brought you on a journey where you've been in so many different communities expressing themselves and you know to your delight as well when when you read your books you can really see that you enjoy just experiencing what's happening out there um, but what would you say just in closing for those that um, have read maybe some of your books or you know just are feeling a little down that they haven't got that experience what what what's some words of encouragement that you you could First of all, I would say you're not alone. There are many, many Christians who are in the same spot. Uh, I call it the wilderness. You know, remember when Israel left Egypt, before they got to Canaan, they were in the wilderness. And many Christians are in the wilderness. And I would say this to you, God will make a way out of the wilderness, but it may cost you something. And for some people, the way out, the way the Lord let them out was to relocate. Uh, I've seen many, many Christians relocate to be part of an organic expression of church because they couldn't find anything where they were living. And when God begins new things, sometimes he will lead people to relocate. He did it in Jerusalem. The first church on earth was in Jerusalem, and there were many, many people from all over the Roman Empire who relocated to go to Jerusalem, and they moved right in. So that's something we shouldn't close ourselves off to, I don't know what it's like, you know, where you live, but Americans, they'll move for a better job. They'll move for an education, go to college. They'll move to be closer to family members. But the idea that they will move for the church of Jesus Christ or that they'll relocate for God's eternal purpose, they just don't get it. But many do get it, and this has to do with your heart. It has to do with that's where the Lord's leading. Uh, on the other hand, if God isn't leading you that way, you pray and you ask him. Some conference may spring up nearby or in another city, and the Lord may put it on your heart to go there, and you may meet people who live in your city at that conference. I have seen that happen so many times I've lost count where someone said, you know what, it was inconvenient for me to go to this organic church conference, this missional church conference, but I'm so glad I went because I met three people who live, you know, a couple blocks away from me. So a lot of things can happen in that way. I'm just giving examples. Just kind of stretch your imagination because God does things like that. But if you pray and your heart is open, he will lead you out of the wilderness. It may cost you something. But he will do it because that's what he does. How long we spend in the wilderness is our decision. And um, we know from Israel's example, they spent a lot longer than they had to. I've been in the wilderness several times myself. And for me, I relocated twice in my life for the church. So everyone's different. God will lead everyone differently. God may bring some people your way. You may He may put on your heart to invite some folks to come and hold a conference where you live, perhaps, to bring people together. That's another way I've seen it done. But the beginning is recognize that you're in the wilderness, recognize that God will make a way in time, and begin to pray and seek him. And if you want some practical help, in addition to that, the book Finding Organic Church, I have a whole chapter on things you can do to connect with other people where you live. And so that may be of help, too. Oh, great. Well, you've, like, like we said, you've written um, a whole bunch of books and the deconstructing part of pagan Christianity, but most of your work really is um, being a voice that can help people um, put words to things they're feeling or give an explanation to some things that they haven't thought of. So um, I'll uh, leave a link that will 
can, if you want to have a look at some of Frank's stuff, um, you know, like I think you've got three or four books that are really focused on kind of uh, organic church and how does it work and and understanding God's heart, like you said, the eternal purpose that will help you, help us as a community understand how to live. Um, and you also, Frank, you're quite active, aren't you, on kind of social media and uh, and the likes. You've got a blog and a whole bunch of things, Twitter. I have a blog. It's frankviola.org, O-R-G. It's called Beyond Evangelical. And I am an evangelical Christian, but we're going beyond the typical evangelical mindset that's kind of stuck in a rut. And we're going further into God's eternal purpose and living by the indwelling Christ and the importance of the church as an organism, etc. But uh, the blog, I do a lot of interaction with my readers. People comment. I put different articles on there. And I'm also on Twitter. Twitter.com, and that would be a great place to join me. I, I love participating with people on Twitter. Those are the two main things. I'm on some other networks, but I don't use them so much. So. Yeah, right. Yeah, cool. It's always great. I think people really enjoy being um, having the opportunity through social media and blogs and so on to, to uh, you know, participate or connect with um, with people that like yourself that are writing books and uh, are helping the body of Christ and um, and get a chance to connect in a bit more personable way. So I know from your website and especially Twitter that um, you're always uh, out there and connecting and people can kind of interact, which is very cool. Um, last thought just before we go, I know I, I, I wanted to actually bring this up earlier, but, you know, you, you write books like I think every four or five weeks you've got a new book out. <laughs> uh, you, I mean, you, you write great books and they come – they're coming out consistently, which is fantastic, but you've got a new book. Is that right? Like it's only the last two or three weeks, I think, it's been out. Revise Us Again. Yes. Uh, the new book is called Revise Us Again. Uh, revise is in revising a script. And it's all about spiritual growth. It's for every Christian. I tackle issues in regard to our Christian lives and our walk with the Lord that are very rarely talked about today. And so, so far from readers, uh, the response has been wonderful. It's been very encouraging, very humbling. That's really opening a lot of people's eyes. And it's all about how the Holy Spirit is the great editor, and he is in the business of rescripting our lives into the image of Jesus. And that also requires some descripting from things that we've learned, uh, patterns we've had in speaking and thinking and acting that do not originate with the Lord. So it's really about rescripting the Christian life and um, the Holy Spirit being the great editor who does that. That's the newest book, Revise Us Again. And I've actually slowed down in writing, uh, Nick. I'm, I'm now doing one book a year. So that gives <laughs> everybody a chance, a full year, to read the book <laughs> before the next one comes out. So, yeah, that, that'll be helpful. I'm sure you're probably storing two or three up then in the vault somewhere, you know. <laughs> now, but thanks a lot for, for um, putting all the time in to, to do all your books and, you know, you're traveling a lot and participating with um, people online and offline. So it's just awesome. Um, huge greetings from Germany. You, you know, a lot of people really love what you're doing over here. But, uh, you know, it's, it's really great. And just be encouraged that what you're doing has had a huge influence on people taking the next steps in terms of working out uh, their faith and church and, and life and Christian leadership and a whole, whole range of issues. So 
Thanks a lot for all you're doing. Uh, looking forward to So we have to wait another whole year. I'm going to see if that works out. Sure, I'll mark the, the date today and see when you're Another next. year, <laughs> yeah. That gives you a whole year to read the new right. book. <laughs> yeah.